it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So before we get started, right, I've got this new football app to tell you about. It's called Teammates. It's a football quiz app, and the aim of the game is to climb from the bottom of League 2 and win the Premier League. And you can also win the FA Cup and the League Cup. To do this, you get given a team sheet with one thing that links them. For example, players that Klopp gave their Liverpool debut to. Some players will be linked to signify that they played with each other. Some players won't. So Roberto Firmino, did Klopp give him his Liverpool debut? Wrong, it was Brendan Rodgers. You see, that's how hard it is. And the further you climb up the league or get through in the cup, the less and less players you get and the tasks become harder and harder and you've only got a set amount of moves. You can play it in modern mode or vintage mode, so if your current football knowledge isn't up to much and you've got the memory of an elephant, you can play vintage mode. I mean, man, it's extremely addictive. I love a good football quiz and you can sit there racking your brains for ages trying to think of who out of the shortlist of players you get given has been a teammate of Sergio Ramos and Emerson but hasn't played in England. Check it out, it's Teammates, it's available on the App Store. Look for the red and white football, it is really a football quiz like no other. And to ease us in today, your man who runs Teammates is running a bit of a tournament poll on his Twitter account at the minute and um, he's finding out what is the best teammate partnership from the 2000s, from European clubs in the 2000s. And he's enlisted us to try and get to the bottom of some. So today, who are the best Barcelona teammates from the 2000s? The options are Puyol and Marquez at the back, Xavi and Iniesta in the midfield, Ronaldinho and Messi up front, or Lionel Messi and Eto up front as well. That's tough. It is a tough That's one. Because you've got different eras there. I mean, Ronaldinho and Messi, for me, I don't think played enough together to warrant that inclusion, really. Whereas Puyol Mark yeah. has brought home that second European Cup in 2006. Yeah, I think Puyol and Marquez should have done a lot better than they did in terms of the poll not in real real life um, <laughs> but yeah they're fairly low on the polls but I would probably vote for them quite boringly but Xavi and Iniesta it's hard to deny yeah, it's yeah hard exactly to deny. I mean There's Xavi and Iniesta as well yeah. I've seen Real Madrid and that's a tough one to choose between because you've got like the different eras there like Beckham and Carlos and then the more recent players and 
and even once further back, it's tough. It's good. It's interesting to put like two players together like that. It's a peek behind the uh, curtain for next week because we'll be doing the Real Madrid one next week. Uh, but yeah, for yeah. me, I'd I'd go for Xavi and Iniesta as well. The only they're probably the 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 only pair in there that've won multiple European Cups together. So they were there from. That's true. 2000, Iniesta weren't there as much in 2006, but in 2009, 2011, 2015, three European Cups together when they were starting the majority of the games. So, yeah, I mean, nothing really comes style, close. Like, in terms of style, no, you kind of had been tempted to go with something that included Ronaldinho, but it's the argument of what matters. Yeah. Is it trophies or is it flair? Because he was, Ronaldinho was just before like the golden era that is now pretty much dead. Um, he, <laughs> yeah, was, he yeah. was kind of just before it um, so yeah you've got you kind of got to go for Guardiola era and then stalwarts have it really sadly oh, so Ronaldinho might be probably the most skillful player ever to play football but his sale that was commissioned by Guardiola did necessitate that fucking dominance yeah. in the late yeah, exactly, 2000s yeah. early 2010s kind so. of rid of the showpiece players and just had yeah. genuinely good footballers yeah, so yeah, check out teammates. It's good, good app. Yeah, great lots, app lots of well. challenges there revolving around some of the best 11s of all time. There's even a naughty section, I believe. So, yeah, vintage section and modern day. So, as we said at the top of the show, teammates app on iOS at the minute. I don't know if it's coming to Android or not, but we'll be looking at Real Madrid, the Real Madrid poll next week. Yeah, I've still not decided, so I'll keep. Welcome to the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Each week, my esteemed pal AJ Alex Rhodes doubling up on his Brexit umbra today. Doubled up, doubled up, doubling enthusiasm, doubling umbra. All right. And I, Jake Doyle, in my often forgotten turn of the decade Manchester United way strip, hop into our football time machine. Solid shit. We lost to Burnley in this. And to the 2000s, to select the football moments of the time to pick the bones of. Today, we're going to look at qualification campaigns. Euro 2008, as Ray Mysterio would call it, qualification started 14 years ago today. But first, we've got to talk about the first All-English Champions League final. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I say it every week, but this is a nostalgic, probably one of my favourite games of all time, to be honest. Um and certainly one of the most nostalgic games. So Man United versus Chelsea, obviously. Champions League final 2008. Top two teams in England, arguably the top two teams in the world at the time, certainly in the top five. And probably United, slight favourites going into it. Obviously the season before, slight heartbreak, quarterfinals, losing to AC Milan and Kaka running them ragged, really, the year before. Um, and we need to do a podcast really about Kakado because he was big time. such like a big, big star of the noughties who kind of fed, tailed off towards the end of it. So, but yeah, broke United hearts in 2007. But United rallied and found themselves in the final in 2008 after that tight, tight Barcelona semi final. That was that was pretty nervous when it got in. Settled by a Paul Skull <laughs> screamer. Skull screamer, and then like. 75 minutes of agony for United yeah, fans. Yeah, pretty much. To Villa's Nicky Stadium on a relayed pitch, which is relevant for what happened later on in the game. The teams were as such. So you had United, Van der Sar, Wes Brown, Ferdinand Vidic, Everett, Hargreaves on the right, Carrick and Scholes in the middle, Ronaldo on the left, or just floating about. 
and Tevez and Rooney up front. Uh, Chelsea had Czech in goal, Essien, Carvalho, Terry, Ashley Cole in defence, Makalele protecting that defence, Balak Lampard just in front, and then Joe Cole, Drogba, and Maluda in front, and them two. United strike first, obviously Wes Brown with that great little one-two, and then one again with Skulls out wide, and then a lovely whippy left foot cross straight onto Ronaldo's head, who bulleted it past Petr Cech. And Chelsea equalised not long after with a pretty scruffy goal, wasn't it? So Essien shoots from about 25 yards out. I think he hits both Rio and Vidic and then ends up in Frank Lampard's path who just taps it up. Proper little Lampard scabby goal. Um, <laughs> it's that 50-50. You either had Belters or he just ran in and tapped it up. Oh, which is why he's one of the best midfielders of that time, really. Scrambled. Oh, yeah, for that midfield run, he was brilliant. I mean, he had Skulls on the pitch as well, who was doing the same thing, probably, mm. for the last 10 years. Game stays at 1-1, goes into extra time. Drogba sent off a kind of slap on Vidic, weird kind of two-fingered punch. Slap that was thing. a big turning point, that, though, really, that red card. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And then, yeah, and then you had Giggs going really close with things. Fingertip save from Czech. I thought they'd won it there. I thought Giggs was tucking that home. But it didn't happen. And then penalties and on the relayed pitch, John Terry slipped, didn't it? And Chelsea lost. But Ronaldo missed as well in the shootout, which added mm-hmm. the jeopardy. And I think by the time John Terry took that penalty, I couldn't watch. I was looking out the window thinking, <laughs> Chelsea won it. Tears coming in, into my eyes. And then I just heard my dad say, He's missed it. And I just like didn't say anything until United won it, really. As a neutral fan, yeah. obviously, there, Alex. <laughs> what are your memories of it? It was, for me, being a Man United fan and not being a neutral at all, it was probably, yeah, one of them great games. But if we'd have lost it, probably not like Rome mm. um, a year on. Uh, for me, yeah. it was a game. It was a game of three halves, really, <laughs> funnily enough, um, obviously, with the extra time. United played better in the first half. And as the game got on, Chelsea just grew and grew into it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Lampard missed a great chance, a couple of great chances actually, in extra time and in the uh, yeah, in extra time. And then obviously the game turns. Drogba misses the uh, penalty shootout by getting sent off. And for me, that probably changed the entire history of football. That wow. yellow, that red That's card. Well, because Drogba was earmarked to take the penalty. Yeah. The fifth yeah, penalty that Terry then yeah. took, and obviously going jumping forward a few years to 2012, and to the Allianz Arena behind me, yeah, caused yeah. the last kick of his first bit of his Chelsea career to win Chelsea their first European Cup. So would that have happened in 2008? I've definitely done a video on that. I think, or it's coming out soon. But anyway, um, it probably the Chelsea probably do win it, and then. Maybe do they even get to the final a year later, beating Barcelona? Who knows? I don't know about that. I don't. Yeah, it's because this was obviously like I say, oh six or seven United had started that resurgence again, which arguably a team was created there that lasted until Fergie retired. In a way, I mean, there are a yeah. couple of years out where Man City won it or Chelsea won it, but apart from those years. It was United in an 06 or 07. Obviously, they came back, won the league after Mourinho had won it a couple of times with Chelsea. So, this was sort of like Chelsea biting back and seeing if they could reclaim and kind of wrestle United back off that top spot. So, I guess you're right in a way. But 
I just feel like, yeah, United kicked on after this. Obviously, they had one more year of Ronaldo after that and then he left, but they still managed to do enough to stay at least domestically on top. And then, yeah, 2011, where arguably you had a better squad in 2011, United, you know, when you look across the depth that they had. But Barcelona were just on fire there and their peak started a little bit higher than United, it seems, so. Yeah, tactically in this game there were quite a few uh, interesting parts. Like, yeah, yeah. Ferguson would always have a player who did the dirty work. So, I mean, at the start of this decade, it was Phil Neville getting involved in midfield for big games, whereas yeah. nowadays, well, these days, it would have been Fletcher, Owen Hargreaves, who was sacrificed to go on the right right hand side of midfield when he'd often it'd probably be more of a four three three these days, tucking in with scores and Carrick. But yeah, yeah. he'd always have like one player who just did things like that. Like Jason Park was renowned for it around probably later yeah. on than this. And yeah, Ferguson well, said, finally was yeah. yeah, exactly. And Ferguson said that was one of his um, saddest moments of his Man United career when he had to leave Jason Park out of the team for this for this fixture because he was yeah. such a big part of the team. Even though he wouldn't start week in week out, it'd be one of those. Firefighter players like Darren Fletcher or in Argreaves would do a job, go unnoticed, and provide like the likes of you know Berbatov, Tevez, you know, Rooney, Ronaldo. And I'd, I'd take your point about the 2011 team having more depth, but I don't think it is as good as this team or even the 99 team, which obviously the two Ferguson and United winning teams. In terms so, I mean, of the 11, that you could feel. Yeah, yeah, in terms of 11. Yeah. So, I mean, in 99, we had Schmeichel. In 2008, we had Van der Sar. So for me, yeah. that's level par. I mean, you, you can't really split them on what they've done in their careers. They're both European Cup winners, obviously. Ronnie Johnson and Rio Ferdinand, probably Rio, the better. Johnson's yeah. a weak link in terms of his uh, named value in that 1919, but alongside Yapstam, they formed a great partnership. And obviously, Yapstam and Emmanuel Vidic, splitting them is hard as well. I mean, you've got... Players like Scott, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville in both teams. So that is also a draw. But in terms of what I've got here, in terms of which lineup is better, I think 99 shades it slightly. I mean, I've got Dennis Irwin ahead of Patrice Evra, purely for his set pieces. And I've got Dwight York higher than Carlos Tevez because he was more prolific, even though they are two very different players. Yeah. But you've got to, if you if we're going to do this comparison, you have to choose one of them. Rooney ahead yeah, of Cole, yeah. Keane at miles ahead of Carrick, and Ronaldo was hard to put above Beckham since obviously Beckham's you know long career with the club, but Ronaldo took them to bigger heights and was a more integral part. I think. See, it's tough for obviously the reason that as well. If we're comparing finals, a lot of those players from United couldn't play in the final as well. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, so you've got Jesper Longquist playing right wing in the 99 final. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, who is probably unfairly sort of respected by people. So, like, unfairly treated in the way he's seen as a bit of inferior to to what United had at the time. Like, he was a bit of a B-level player, but I don't know. He did a job in that final, didn't he? Exactly. Like, I mean, Nicky United... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, class player. I think, do you think that's something United lack now? That sort of Park, Jason, Fletcher, Hargreaves, sort of just that person that you play in these big games. United lack a lot of things nowadays. Well, 
But I, I, I think it's United's squad. Maybe, maybe it's Scott McTominay becomes that sort of player, but yeah, yeah, I agree hardly motivational to someone. I mean, yeah, if do you reckon if in '99 he had everybody available, he would have played that sort of player, or do you think Roy Keane sort of gave him? Yeah, Roy, Roy, Roy Keane anyway? was Roy Keane was that one. It's not until after Roy Keane sort of declined that Ferguson would bring out those players for those occasions. Yeah. Because yeah. Roy Keane could do it all. So he was effectively that player and also the captain and also a midfield sort of everything. So, I mean, yeah. he could do everything. So he didn't need the the Phil Neville, the Darren Fletcher, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of yeah. moments, I mean, though, I'd have the 99 team as well because you've got, look at who United beat on the way to the final. They beat... Leon, Roma, obviously Barcelona. Yeah, that's the, probably the one of the biggest teams alongside Chelsea of that time. The group stages: Sport in Lisbon, Roma again, Dynamo Kiev. There wasn't those for me. Obviously, remembering bits and bats from '99, there wasn't those as magical nights. The the only magical night from that is the second leg in the semi final against Barcelona and the final. Whereas yeah. in the '99 campaign, every single match. Possible, with possible exceptions of the Bromby games, were just classic Man United nights. Yeah, yeah. Barcelona yeah. and Bayern Munich home and away at the groups. Four draws there. I remember mean, got a couple of three threes against Barcelona. Come yeah. coming, yeah, yeah, in, yeah in, great games. Inter Milan and Juventus back when they were like the biggest teams as well in the world. Juventus especially coming from three one down on aggregate to beat them four three in Turin, yeah. where no one really yeah, tended yeah. to score more than one goal or win for that matter so the magical nights of two of 99 and prevailing over 2008 and for example they did, they couldn't get the treble one so granted it was a, that was a freak match against Portsmouth it was one of the yeah, strangest oh matches I've ever seen Rio Ferdinand ended up in net and I mean, the, the amount of missed chances that United had that afternoon um, yeah. So that is probably the main difference why 2008 probably isn't looked back on. Aside from the, you know, it's probably nostalgia as well. But I mean, going to the new camp and scoring three goals a few years after you got trounced yeah, there four yeah, yeah. 0 is, you know, redemption story. Yeah. Chelsea in this game as well. I'm even though Chelsea ran Man United close in the title and in the Champions League, obviously two points separated them in the league this season. I never felt as a despite having a team that could match United, that they could do it. Because Avram Grant took over yeah. from Mourinho in September. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And there always seemed to be this, you know, disharmony. And obviously mm. having a solid spine of Czech, Terry Lampard and Drogba with a t- with like the pretty much the inmates running the asylum as the, you know, yeah, exactly. it was yeah. tend to be portrayed, could only get them so far. I mean, they dropped to third in 2009 and be rescued pretty much by Carlo Ancelotti and Gus Hiddink in his interim yeah. role for six months. So, yeah, he took a step back for for a, for a yeah, good eighteen months there, Chelsea for me. I think if Avram Grant won the Champions League, that'd be like <laughs> the most craziest honour that any manager has ever got because it's clearly well, it was just an inside like puppet oh, appointment, wasn't yeah. it? Big time, big time. Awesome. So, yeah, do you want to tell me about Euro two thousand and eight? I do want to tell you about. Euro 2008 qualification. So the qualification process started all the way back in August 16th with three matches, but let's just discredit them because it were like Estonia and Macedonia. So 
The first main match day began today, 14 years ago, on September the 2nd. I remember it well because England beat Andorra 5-0 on that day. I was in uh, sunny Salou watching that in a uh, a restaurant, but we spoke about England and Euro 2008 last week and the heartbreak's just far too much for me. So we'll talk about the other teams, the, the teams that actually got to the fucking tournament. And it's the only tournament to have more than 16 teams in it in terms of football, obviously European and world football, not to have a home nation qualify. So yeah. we had Ireland and Wales. Ireland who hadn't qualified since Euro 88 and Wales who had never qualified for a European Championships to that point. They lost out to Czech Republic and Germany, who of course have great uh, history in the tournament. And you've got Scotland, that great Scottish team of the Euro 2008 qualification. Yeah. They had wins over France home and away. That win, that James McFadden goal at the Stade de France. James what, McFadden, what a boy. What a hit, yeah. I mean, I mean, that would have been the, the biggest um, British hope going into a major tournament. It would have been Scotland's first tournament in a decade. But then you've got a late Christian Panucci goal um, for Italy. You've got a stupid loss against Georgia and eventually those losses sort of racked up and Italy and France both qualified. Italy and France would both be then paired off in the same group in Euro 2008's main tournament. And also, when we think of Euro 2008 qualification, obviously Scotland's nearly job, but then you've got Northern Ireland as well. Northern Ireland had Spain and Sweden in their group and it went down right to the last day. David Healy top scored throughout the entire qualification campaign with 13 goals. I remember he did a good job on England in uh, the qualification campaign before this when he got yeah, the winner yeah. at Windsor Park as well. One of the, I think it was Sven-Goran Eriksson's only qualification defeat, that one. But with Northern Ireland, home and away defeats to Iceland went against them, they would have qualified. And away from home, they only beat Liechtenstein. And, you know, they're just, you know, shocking. But in that campaign, you know, France, Scotland had wins against France, but Northern Ireland had wins at, at home to Spain, Sweden, Denmark. Three big, t- well, Denmark probably less so, but like a couple of big teams in there. So with these teams, so you've got Italy, France, Spain, they all qualify with one match to spare, Sweden on the final day. Does it really matter if you fly through qualification for a major tournament? I don't think I don't think the records show that it does, to be honest. I think it's good if you I just think every tournament is kinda of different and every qualification campaign is different in terms of yeah, if you start a campaign you've got a clear vision of what you want to do with that set of players and then you pull it off in qualification, that probably will will, will give you a big morale boost. But there must have been plenty of teams who didn't have the shit together, tend to put a tournament and did pretty well regardless. I think Germany probably do that every time. I mean, oh, we'll yeah. have times, like you say, where they fly through it. But there were plenty of times where they haven't, but still managed to scrape something out of a tournament. So, I mean, I think this one, obviously, was so long, like you say. So it was good if you did sort of fly through it, get plenty of good wins under your belt get match fitness and get that group playing good together, then yeah, it's a good chance to do it. But ultimately, I don't think it matters that much. No, I, I tend to agree because you've got Germany qualifying amongst the first. They qualify with three match days you know, to spare. 
while Spain only qualify with one match day to spare, they'd obviously be the two teams in the Euro 2008 final. Yeah. Looking at the teams that have lost the least amount, lost one game, for example, Greece and Romania, they lost one in qualification, went out in the groups. Whereas you've got Russia and Spain, lost twice in the qualification campaigns. Russia got to the semi-finals, which was just a strange time all round, really. With they sort of came out of the woodwork there, and Spain lost twice in the qualification campaign to then win the tournament as well. Yeah, exactly. So I said we wouldn't talk about England, but I've got a little uh, comparison here. So it's comparing England when they qualify for a tournament and how quickly they qualify for a tournament compared with the winners in qualification for that same tournament. So. In four occasions between 2000 and 2018, the last qualification campaign that has obviously gone through without obviously knowing the winners of the year of 2021, England qualified at the same time as the winners four times. Three times in the Golden Generation campaign, 2006 to 2000, 2002 to 2006, and Fabio Capella's campaign in 2010, which was probably one of the best in terms yeah, of England's recent past. Fans. Only lost one game, yeah, lost to uh, Ukraine or whatever. Um, and there's been two occasions where we've qualified before the winners. So in 2016, these are this was under Roy Hodgson. We qualified with <laughs> this, seems to, this is just mind boggling 100%. We went through qualification for I think that's the first time we've done that in an elongated qualification campaign, but yet with three matches to spare as well. I think we were the first team to qualify for the tournament, and then we go out in. <laughs> getting the round of 16 to Iceland. So, yeah. I mean, obviously the winners there were Portugal. They went out with one match to spare. Last campaign, it's Gareth Southgate. It was sort of like we'd be picking up 2-0 wins against Malta and stuff like that. And it were hardly like setting the world alight. But we went undefeated and we qualified with one match to spare. Whereas France, who sort of functionally went about their business in Russia, qualified on the final day. So, yeah, that just exactly. proves that it doesn't really matter at all. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. I just think it could if it comes at the right time, obviously it's that's the key. You know, if you get the if it's about having a group like the Spanish group, obviously say we lost a couple of times going into oh eight, but then by the time the tournament came around, they started like six well, four sorry, four years of winning international tournaments. So Yeah. It's all, it's all a learning curve. I think that's the, that's the best thing you can get from it. You don't kind of want to sail through it and not learn anything, which ha- must happen to most of the big countries a lot of the time. I think England will hopefully use it. Well, God knows, obviously, they've already qualified, but we've got a lot of time to kind of think about as 11 and probably not a lot of games to do it, so it would have yeah. been good to have a few more games um, because of how the timings worked out. But... I think that's all it can be, and obviously, if you're if you're a smaller, smaller nation, and don't obviously mean that of any disrespect. It's kind of it can be like your tournament in a way, like every game. If you, like I know Roy Keane said when he was with Ireland, like every qualification game was like being at the World Cup anyway. And then when yeah. you get there, it's not exactly a bonus. You'd obviously try to win it, but yeah, it depends who you are. But I think ultimately, no, I still don't. No, I don't think it matters. Just get through it. Get through it. Hopefully learn something from it and then have a good kind of spirit and vibe going into the tournament. 
that's the best well, you can hope for, isn't it? The European Championship campaigns now, when it's when there's 24 teams, it almost seems harder not to qualify. Like how yeah, did exactly, yeah. how did the Dutch not qualify for 2016? Obviously exactly. now it's even it's now. even it's even harder not to qualify, especially if you're one of those um, if you're lucky enough to be in the top two groups Nations. seeds ranking. Yeah, so in like the top 16 teams ranked before the qualifications even begun, you could lose every game effectively and going through yeah. the back door via the playoffs because of the Nations League. Yeah, exactly. That's set yeah. up and it's yeah. It's kind of flawed. I think it is going to change by the time the um, 2024 or whenever the next <laughs> European Championships after this is, um, yeah. because it is far too simple to. Because all the best teams have pretty much nailed on. They could play championship exactly. players and get through, really. Do you think that's engineered on purpose to get the best teams there? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I, I still, well, they always seem to one that misses out, like, say, Netherlands missed out. Let's move on. And before we leave the footballing world behind in our dust, it's only time to bring you the 2000s trivial teaser. So last week, Alex got it right, but I edited it out because, you know, I'm clever. He was born on the 18th of May, 78, centre-back, been managed by Big Phil Scolari, Claudio Ranieri, he's played with Scott Parker, Kaka Dudek, Martial and Hulk. You guessed him right. Probably a couple of people at home did. Ricardo Carvalho. Yeah. What was the sticking I, I, point? I, well, I think Hulk was the key. And if you, because, I mean, at first it seems like proper red herring, but then you realise we've both played for Shanghai. Some, so some Chinese team, you haven't it all, <laughs> it all kind of slots into place there with Chelsea, Madrid, yeah, and Brazil. Where's Kaka from Carvalho? Real Madrid. Real Madrid. As is Dudek. So. Scott Parker, obviously, yeah. Chelsea. Marcel Monaco. He was born on March the 27th, 1972. He's a centre-forward and he's been managed by Frank Rijkaard and Ian Dowie. So an eclectic yep. team of managers there. And he's played with Guy Scamendieta, Marcus Bent, Darren Bent, Dennis Bergkamp and Aaron Ramsey. So do you have a clue yeah. to who that is? I think I've got a good shout. I don't know if it, I've not checked out every avenue, but I think I've got a good shout. Get in there. I but suppose. I, say I suppose you get a, a, a long run up, run up at this, and you can just check out March the twenty seventh on Wikipedia. Yeah. So no, I didn't was, do that to be fair. That's a good shout out for next time. <laughs> no, I just like I do try and work it out with a little bit of help. It's not until recently I didn't realise that Marcus and Darren Brent weren't brothers. <laughs> well, one's supremely more talented than the other, but like... Yeah, Marcus. So if, yeah. <laughs> so if you think you know the answer like here and Alex getting the answer out for the second week running, please leave it in the comments section and the answer will be revealed next episode. Obviously, I'll bleep it out or cut it up in the edit. So before we move on to... The, the end of the show have you got any other business for us obviously we've been talking about away yeah. days recently yeah yeah so we you say we move comfortably out of the footballing world we're going to move comfortably back into it in a way, in a way. so yeah the last week we spoke about going to Atkinson Stanley on our away day with our good friend Harry um, and obviously this we've got FFB podcast but we're looking to bring it back so let's talk about Barnsley when we went to Barnsley so the second of our away days, obviously, travelling to South Yorkshire, 
for our for us West Yorkshire boys. What to do? Start off in Huddersfield, quick Weatherspoons, then down to Barnsley on the train. Quick Weatherspoons. Nice well, <laughs> for about yeah, three hours. Well, you know, forty minute train uh, ride there, and I had some Polish lager, which I think needs mentioning. Um, so, we got drunk. <laughs> we all did, I guess. Um, so the town of Barnsley, obviously, we do free rains. Town, the pubs, and then the ground slash a game, the match day experience. So I'm giving the town 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, I'd agree with that one. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid, I mean, it's obviously throughout the whole of these, they're, apart from York, they're all underdeveloped northern towns. So, I mean, they're, they're all sort of like along yeah, the same yeah, yeah. line, really. I, Barnsley, for me, it probably had a bit more about it. I mean, we'll go on to the pubs yeah. in a minute. Um, in terms of getting out of the trade session, getting to the game, it seemed like seemed fairly easy to be honest. I mean, we were yeah, did, we did peak like Mount Everest, but I mean, it was fairly simple to get there. Yeah, and the pubs yeah. for me probably spoke about this earlier. Um, um, amongst the uh, small sample size that we've got, probably the best pubs in terms of the pl- the places that we went. I mean, you do have to pick. Should we run through? I'll tell you where. Go on, go on then. So go off a train and then. The- a pub called Garrison, which I used to work with a guy who was from Barnsley and he told me about it. Well, he told me about most of these, to be fair. Yeah. And the Garrison was like one minute from the station, wasn't it? And it sounds like it's going to be like Peaky Blinders theme, but it's not. It's a decent little pub. And then we went there after the game as well, so it must have been all right. Um, and we were like seeing there, we saw the Antwerp Tykes. So the Antwerp Reds on top. For like Antwerp Reds or... I think that's what I was saying. It's good enough for them, then it must have been all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then went to Annie Murray's, which was a bit more themed this time, Irish themed, and a little bit sort of Disneyland Highland rather than authentic yeah. Island. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, we've been to Dublin a couple of times, haven't we? And we're like yeah. trying to compare it with them. Um, well, it, then, what I'd say is it's more like really Temple Bar. So it's more of an inauthentic, like you say, inauthentic island, Dublin, which is what they're yeah, probably yeah. going for, really. So, Yeah, and then old number seven, Craftdale Bar in Barnsley, um, which That's is good because a, yeah, a lot of Craftdale bars, you do seem a little bit hipster and pretentious. Not that that's always a bad no, thing. No, that one, that one like, we're all right. No, exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's good because it's chock full of tight fans. Everyone having a good time, good ale on, on draft, and yeah. And then the mm. weather spoons was like the WrestleMania one, it going in there. It was like Takeshi's Castle. <laughs> wow. There were about seven different rooms. Um, the toilets are obviously, as weather spoons are, a mile away. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like we yeah, were about. Yeah, your classic, fo- yeah, trademarks, fo- yeah. sprawling layout. And you had like a mix of different clients, didn't you? And then obviously, yeah, like a camel ride to the toilets. <laughs> and then, yeah, that I just, the, the ramp still, obviously, yeah, for disabled access. But you went into where it was honestly like the ramp should have a championship belt over, over your shoulder. Stadiums, yeah, I feel <laughs> like you're going in to do a running on John Cena or something. <laughs> well, <laughs> the game itself, obviously, as we spoke of yes last week. The game was dreadful. Probably the one of the worst we've been to. One nil, as always. Um, 
long range goal not that I can really remember we've watched the highlights back and it, I struggled to see how they've got two minutes out of that game for the highlights package and it was a league one game at the time as well the ground the facilities I'd probably put it up there as the best ground we've been to along with Ewood Park they're on a par the yeah, concourse yeah. as yeah, well would, yeah. the was it Barnsley where the food situation was like you can get a drink for yeah. one part but not food <laughs> I put that got rejoin another yeah, yeah. queue which was just absolutely astounding but you were really from pissed that, off at that well, I listened, just listened to it back and you were like fuming because <laughs> well, well it, it was funny the queues yeah. it was a food queue and a drinks queue but the yeah. it weren't as though the people behind the tills were operating it out of different departments and different rooms no it was all like like say if you went to a Weatherspoons and they've got the long bars long stretches of bars the food bit was at one side yeah it's all as one and it was like sort of alternating food, drink, food, drink, food, drink. But you'd have to be aligning yourself with the food or the drinks to get yeah, yeah. what it was just, just reach over and get me a pie, you know, but the, the food was, well, no, the food was quite shit, to be honest. I, I've put good pies down, so <sighs> no, I, think... I got two, but I don't know if that's because I had two to drink and I feel like I needed some extra. And it probably tasted fuel. better because you'd had too much to drink. Yeah, yeah. Because well, I, yeah, I, I mean, think the another feature we have is trying to collect the tickets don't we and I remember we had to queue up and then they were just in a big plastic box at the front of this queue yeah in, with, did outside they, as well did they get wasn't your it? name right did they get your name right on these ones I think they got my name wrong but it seemed a lot more uh, a lot less painless a lot more painless right. than the, the last time we well, I and then was they actually like, had which I I was quite well I wouldn't say impressed but they had like electronic turnstiles like you get at Old Trafford and stuff. Well, like an actual girl. Well, yeah, let, so I listen back to it, you can hear the mm, beeping. Let's not forget that we, we went, what, 20, 2018. So a good, so 20 years to the to the sort of day when they were relegated from the Premier League. So it should have Premier League standards, really. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's probably all from the updates. And they had right. like some good artwork on the concourse, didn't they? Like some... Yeah, I'll run up and stuff. I can't I'm, remember. I'm gonna say it's edges at Ewood Park for me. It's definitely on a par. Definitely on a par. That's my challenge for anyone listening. Um, if you want to recommend one, please ensure good football as well. I know it's hard. I know every team has their off days, but like work the percentages and give us a good team. We've had not percent uh, so far, so yeah, yeah, a good I game mean, would that, be that nice. Great class day as well. I mean, we had to kind of leave. We'd have probably stayed a couple of hours after as well because the garrison had a good atmosphere going on. But I mean, I remember trying to text him there, and I feel like I'd lost control of my phones because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't that much to drink. And well, then we had to rush for the last train because it was yeah. train strike. Strange, the days of the train strikes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that kind of put a damper yeah. on it, and I almost missed my train because I went to get a subway. And it would have been yeah, one of the last trains out of Barnsley. Next season, obviously, I might not be able to do football. So, suggest any alternatives. I've like been trying to think other sports, maybe cricket. Yeah, I knew you were going to say cricket. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, the thing is, we'd have to wait until like next summer anyway, because it's usually yeah, exactly, well, exactly. You know, in the winter, they get the T twenties and stuff, so we might see them. Just um, in general, any yeah. towns or cities, roughly within probably about. You know, less than a hundred miles of Leeds. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, if if the ground's yeah. close to the city centre, we can at least go and have a look at the ground, do record <laughs> a little bit. 
going to the shop if it's open. I mean, I, I could go. We could do a little tour of the National Football Museum, or even do yeah. stadium tours. Could do some stadium tours, couldn't we? Like <laughs> Jake wants to go to Anfield, so no, oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Have a yeah. big shite on the centre circle. <laughs> yeah, and lastly, uh, thanks to Kyle Norbury for suggesting Derby, which sounds good. A good away day says pubs yeah. are nice and close to the station, and then. It's a nice riverside walk to Pride Park. So I think that's a good shout. To be fair. It's yeah. not going to be too hard to get. So hopefully no. it's football, like you say. Derby could be in League know. One by the time we get there. Well, <laughs> points deductions and that. That's all we've got time for this week on the Notice Nostalgia podcast. Join us next week when we'll be talking about England absolutely battering Croatia 5-1. We've heard about Croatia beating us. Now it's time for some redemption as we qualify for the 2010 World Cup. What are you going to talk about next week? I'm going to talk about Roy Keane's little meltdown in the tunnel before playing Arsenal in 05. Fantastic. And what a game that was. John O'Shea and the uh, chip. We're going to find out the answer to the Ian Dowie Guys Commendieta teaser. We've got a new teaser for you. And we're going to be talking about another away day in any other business. Coming up elsewhere on the channel, tomorrow's throwback will be to Italia 90. And we've got a new series starting on Friday, five, Friday's five-a-side, where I'm going to pick the best five-a-side team from Manchester United, obviously. And Monday's video ponders what would have happened if Zinedine Zidane didn't headbutt Marco Materazzi in that famous World Cup final of 2006. Tears Tuesday, Tears Tuesday list is a ranking of the fullbacks from the 2010s. And as always, I'm at whatif underscore YouTube. You're Alex J. Rhodes on Twitter. Come and tell us nice things. Bye. <laughs>